Well, good morning. Thanks, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship through song. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Go ahead and open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, a couple of announcements as you're turning your way there. First, I just want to remind you, Thanksgiving box drive. Uh, thanks to all of you. Uh, some of the, or all of the tags that were available out there have been taken. What that means, though, is that we need you to bring the food back to us, and it's due next Sunday. So no need to panic yet. Uh, you've still got a week to get your food in. Might want to add it to your grocery list this week. But if you're here next Sunday and you still don't have the food, then it's time to panic, and uh, we really, really do need it back. So uh, thank you, though, for, for your generosity up to this point in helping us to provide meals for uh, needy families Second, I want to draw your attention to uh, the baptism class that's going on today, right after this service in room 113. Uh, if you have uh, not taken that step of obedience uh, to Jesus and following him in baptism and you're, you're a believer in him, then uh, this baptism class might be for you. We've got some, um, about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes or so where we'll be talking about the gospel, we'll be talking about what is baptism and why in the world do we dunk people in water at the front of the stage and make you get your hair wet in front of everybody. So uh, anyway, if that interests you, please come out to that. No need to sign up, just show up to the class, room 113, right after the service. Today we are in the second week of walking through the Beatitudes, a series we're calling The Way of Life. We spent several weeks discussing the way of death, and I don't know about you, but I felt pretty pumped to be moving on from the way of death. It was kind of getting a little bit dark and gloomy. I was excited to get to something a little more happy, a little more cheery. And then I looked at the verse for today, uh, and the verse I was assigned is, blessed are those who mourn. So I guess the happy, cheery stuff will be further on at some point. Eventually, Andy, we've got to get there to something happy and cheery. So, uh, but I've, uh, I've been on a roll using silly illustrations of my children, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing that to this morning as a way of setting up the sermon. I'm a dad of three, two girls, one boy, and uh, our youngest daughter, Piper, she's three years old, and she's three, right? Yeah, she's three. Okay, good. Yeah, she's three. <laughs> had a panic moment. Uh, she's three years old, and she has kind of long and really, really fine hair, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I love it, but when she sleeps, something terrible happens to her. And I don't know how she does it. I don't know what happens, but I, by what I can only imagine is just a horrifying sequence of events. Her hair turns into just a mat of tangles. It's like a knitted blanket when she wakes up in the morning attached to the back of her head. I mean, it's just one big giant knot right here in, in the back. And I didn't know that was a thing until I started having, having daughters. Uh, so we have to spend a ton of time in the morning with this stuff called detangler. Anybody know what detangler is? I didn't. And then I needed it. My solution was to cut it out. Tiffany said, no, that's not the right way to handle it. So, uh, so we get the detangler, we soak her hair in this stuff, and then we take this special brush and we kind of pick away at the rat's nest, I mean her hair, until we finally get it, get it all the way out. And what that detangler does is it makes it, it makes it easier to sort of get her hair out of this matted up knot. You might ask, what in the world does detangler have to do with the Beatitudes? Well, at the risk of reaching a little too far for a sermon illustration, the Beatitudes work like a detangler for your soul. 
the vices that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks have this warping and twisting, tangling effect on your life. These, these patterns of behavior become so deeply ingrained in us that they, they shift our desires, they distort our outlook on life, and they, they contort us into their image. And they leave us sort of seemingly hopeless and tangled in a mess. They're a poison that leads us down the way of death. And the Beatitudes are the antidote. The Beatitudes repair what has gotten all tangled up. They seep down into our hearts and they begin to undo the damage that sin has done. The Beatitudes invite us into a new way of living, a way that is aligned with Jesus and his kingdom. And as we take on and live out the Beatitudes, we reject that old way of death that we used to live in and we live in the way of life. We walk in the way of life. Once we begin to follow Jesus, we are made members of his family, citizens of a new kingdom, and with our new kingdom citizenship comes a new way of living. Now, the way of living Jesus spells out here is very counterintuitive. It goes totally against the grain of our world and its values. So we're taking the next several weeks to sort of soak in them and allow them to undo the damage that sin has done and hopefully help us to realign our values according to the values of the kingdom of God. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the whole passage, but then we're just going to focus in on one verse. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Last week, we looked at the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are those who look at their lives and realize just how morally bankrupt they actually are apart from God. Just how, how deep their spiritual need is, how entangled with sin they really are. And today we look at the very next verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who would live as kingdom people, following after Jesus, will mourn in this life. And the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here is one of the ways that he begins to undo the impact of sin in our life. It's th this kind of mourning is one of the ways that the Spirit of God uses to work in us to align us with his kingdom. Four simple questions are going to guide our time today along those lines. It's a very short verse, so a really simple sermon outline. First, what does Jesus mean by blessed? Like, what is he talking about? Uh, second, what kind of mourning is blessed? Is it just general mourning? Like, if you're sad, then you're blessed by God, and automatically you're in the kingdom. Number three, how does mourning transform us? How does that, that mourning that happens to us or in us, how does that align us with the kingdom? How does that make us a new kind of people and then number four, how are those who mourn comforted? So let's tackle the first question first. What does Jesus mean by blessed? Now, we won't spend a ton of time here. Uh, Gary did a wonderful job last week sort of 
laying this out for us, but I don't want us to forget what Jesus is saying. I don't want to just glance over that word, so we're going to take another look at it. That word blessed is thrown around a lot today. You may say, I'm blessed with a good job, meaning that you have a career that provides well for you or for your family. We might say it's a blessed day outside, meaning the weather is beautiful. (laughs) November in Wisconsin. We might say a blessing over our food, meaning that we give thanks to God for his provision of our meal. In the South, you guys might say this here too, people will often say, oh, bless their heart. Y'all say that here? No? Okay. Well, let me tell you, if you ever go to the South, it sounds really good, but it's not. Okay? Oh, bless their heart is a really kind way of someone to say about another person, oh, they're kind of dumb. Okay? That's what bless their heart means. It means, oh, they're kind of dumb. It means, God, we need you to intervene in this person's life because they ain't going to make it through life without you. Like, they just can't, they can't do it. They can't do, can't do life. It's not a good thing. The Greek word translated as blessed is that word makarios. Uh, some translations render it as happy instead of blessed. And the word can mean happy, but I think Jesus is saying a little bit more here. As John Stott said, happiness is a subjective state where Jesus is making an objective judgment about these people. He is declaring not what they may feel like, but what God thinks of them. Blessed is a word pointing us beyond our subjective experience. It has nothing to do or little to do with your happiness. And it has everything to do with how God feels about you. Everything to do with what God says is true of you. Whether you feel it or not, blessed is what you are when you mourn. It's a statement of God's approval. It's, it's his smile over you. It is his approval of you. It's his delight in you. In this way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 seems a bit paradoxical. There's something about mourning that makes God smile over us. He delights in the mourners. We're blessed not in spite of our mourning. We're blessed in and because of our mourning. Now, how in the world can that be? To get to the bottom of this, I think we need to ask the next question. What kind of mourning is blessed? Mourning is a universal human experience. And I don't think that Jesus is saying here, blessed are the mourners as in everyone, everywhere, at any time who's ever had any grief about anything. Blessed is anyone who's been sad ever in their life. After all, we can, we can mourn all sorts of things. Some of them right, some of them wrong. We can mourn selfishly like when we have to work instead of go deer hunting or fishing or whatever your thing is. Don't look at me and judge me like that. Whatever... <laughs> Put your thing in there too. Sometimes you grieve having to go to work instead of doing your thing. We can mourn out of jealousy because we see somebody has something that we really, really want or think that we can't live without. And why do they deserve that when I don't deserve that, when I can't have that? That should be mine. We even see examples in scripture of people who mourn over missed opportunities to sin. Ah, there was my chance. Should have jumped on it. Surely this kind of ungodly mourning is not what Jesus is talking about. On the other hand, we often mourn things that are right to mourn. We mourn the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the fracturing of a relationship. All of those things elicit mourning, and rightfully so. But there's nothing that really links that kind of mourning necessarily with God and his blessing. After all, we can mourn the loss of a loved one and want nothing to do with God and be far from him. We can mourn the loss of a job and want nothing to do with God. So I wouldn't say that this kind of mourning is blessed. So what kind of mourning makes God smile? 
There are two clues in this passage that I think give us an idea of what Jesus is getting at. And the first clue is the people that Jesus is talking to. Remember, he's, he's speaking directly to his, to his disciples, right? So he, he goes up onto this, this mountain, this hillside, and he sits down and his disciples come and they, you guys are going to be my disciples for just a second for the sake of this illustration. So his, the disciples come up, they're standing around him, but then there's the crowd within earshot, right? Like they all hear Jesus. They had heard him proclaiming the kingdom of God and they're intrigued. Why? Because they're good Jews, They've, been their whole, they've spent their whole life looking around and saying, this is not how things should be. Scripture tells us the way the world looks right now, this is not what it should be like. And we're longing for the day when God's kingdom is going to come, when God's Messiah is going to come and set all things right. We're waiting for that. We're looking for that. So when Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of God is at hand, they're like, okay, let's hear this guy out. Let's go, let's go check it out. Let's see what's going on here. The next clue is the beatitude right before this one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who understand the depth of their spiritual need. The first beatitude sets the tone for those that follow. These traits are all regarding our spiritual life. And when we put these pieces together, are people longing for the coming kingdom of God and, and understanding our spiritual need and the fact that this is a spiritual reality, I think we see that Jesus is referring to here, the kind of mourning he calls blessed is a Godward mourning. It's the kind of mourning that comes from a heart that is broken because nothing in this, in this world is as it should be. Sin has tainted mankind to his core and its destructive effect wreaks havoc on our world. Godward mourning grieves over the damage that sin does both to us personally and to the world out there. And this kind of mourning, the kind of mourning that Jesus calls blessed here, is not content to wallow in the problem. It's not content to say, oh, nothing's as it should be, so I just put my head down and try to make it through life. No, this, this kind of mourning lifts your eyes up off of your problems and sets them on God alone who is able to set things right. Only God can heal the sin within you. Only God can heal the world around us. And that's what this mourning does. Godward mourning is distinct from worldly mourning, both in what it grieves and in where it looks for hope. Blessed are those who mourn the brokenness of our world, who long for God to intervene and who look, for him, look to him to mend the brokenness. Let's look at two examples of this from scripture so we can kind of wrap our mind around what does this mourning look like in our lives First example I want to look at is in Romans chapter 7. This is an example of Godward mourning over sin's effects on us, on our individual lives. Here Paul is wrestling with the sin that he still feels at work within his own body. And here's what he says. And as we read this, I want to know, do you ever, you ever resonate with what Paul's saying? Do you ever feel what he's saying? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, that is my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." wretched man that I am. 
Godward mourning grieves over sin at work in our lives. Those who mourn like this agree with Paul. The things that I do, I don't want to do those things. Like the, the things that I, that I want to do, I, I don't do those. The things that I should be doing, I don't do those. The things that I want to avoid, the sin that I want to get rid of, well, that's the stuff that I find myself doing. And they, they, they summarize, oh, wretched man that I am, what can I do? Sin has had this destructive effect on my life. It has, it has messed things up. It has tangled up my motives and warped my intentions. And every time I think I've licked it, it rears its ugly head again. But then look where this kind of Godward mourning turns. Second half of verse 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Godward mourning looks to God because it recognizes that only he can mend what's broken in us. Only he can deliver us from sin and its devastating impact on our hearts. And Godward mourning is not just focused on the destructive power of sin within us, but also on the destructive power of sin in the world around us. We see this in Habakkuk chapter 1. Here's what Habakkuk prays. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk looked out around him and he saw sin, sin's destruction everywhere. He saw it wreaking havoc on his nation. And he says, God, where are you at? Like there's, there's destruction all around. There's violence all around. Justice is never served. And what is called justice is perverted. The righteous are consumed by the wicked. Do you hear how raw his mourning is here? And though he doesn't understand what God is up to, I want us to notice this. His mourning turns him to God. He doesn't sit around and say, oh, everything out there is going to heck in a handbasket. He doesn't look and say, oh, woe is us, woe is me, this is just pitiful. What does he do? He brings his complaints to God. He brings his questions to God. He says, God, this is awful. Do something about it. I know you can. How long? The question isn't whether you'll do something or not. The question is when. When will you make this right? Godward mourning grieves sin's destructive power, and it looks to God for the solution. That brings us to our third question. How does this kind of mourning transform us? Right, like I I said earlier, the Beatitudes are like a detangler for your soul. Well, how does this kind of Godward mourning detangle and undo the damage that sin has done in our lives? First, it brings us to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. When we really come to grips with the depths of our own sinfulness, and when we see it as God sees it, when it breaks our hearts, we are moved to repentance. We decisively denounce sin We commit to turn from it and to God. We no longer want the the sin in our life that at one time felt good, but we're sick and tired of its destructive impact on our lives. 
We're sick and tired of what it's doing to our relationships. We're sick and tired of what it's doing to our heart. We're sick and tired of what we see it doing around us. And so we say, God, I don't want that. I'm turning away from that. I'm going to turn to you. That's what a Godward morning does. It says, I'm done with this. I'm turning to, to you. Not only does Godward morning bring us to repentance, it also prompts us to pray. Like Habakkuk, when we see sin in our world, we turn to God and we ask God, how long? How long are you going to let this go on? When are you going to step in and intervene? When are you going to do something about this? We need you to set this right. We can come up with 10,000 ways of fixing the problems that we see in this world. But if God does not intervene, we have nothing. So God, when will you intervene? When will you work? God's blessing is on those who recognize and mourn the devastating and destructive power of sin in their own lives and turn to him in repentance. And his blessing is on those who grieve sin in the world and longingly pray for him to make all things right. And God is pleased to use our prayer and repentance to transform us. A life of Godward mourning that is a life of prayer, a life of repentance, aligns us with the heart of God. You spend time praying over the sin that you see around you and you spend time in repentance over the sin in your own life, the Holy Spirit uses that to align your values now with the kingdom of God and its values. It takes it and it detangles the impact of sin in your life, the mess that it has created in your heart. It cries out to God to untangle the mess and fix the world. And through all of this, the Spirit of God conforms us more and more and more to the image of Christ. And here's some really, really good news. According to Jesus, those who mourn like this will be comforted. Those who look to him as the solution will one day realize the solution. One day we will see God act decisively. So how are the mourning comforted? Matthew 5 doesn't tell us. It just kind of gives a statement. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But the rest of scripture fills in the gaps for us. And I want to point out just three ways that God comforts us as Godward mourners. First, we're comforted by God's pardon. As we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Godward mourning over our own sin leads us to repentance. And all who come to him in repentance, who reject sin and turn to him, will be forgiven. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though sin's destructive power in our lives causes great grief, we have this promise, if we will turn, if we will see the sin in our life and call it what it is, if we will bring that then to God and ask for his forgiveness and decide to turn away from that, he will certainly forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For believers, to grieve over our sin before God is to enjoy his forgiveness. He's not slow to forgive us. He's eager, like the father of the prodigal son. You remember that story? The prodigal son goes to his dad and he says, hey, dad, uh, I know you're alive, but I'd kind of rather you not be. And I'd like your inheritance, my inheritance from you right now. So dad says, fine. He takes his inheritance. He goes and he spends it on partying. And he ends up eating food out of a pig trough, basically. And he kind of comes to his senses and he says, wait a second. My dad's servants live better than I'm living right now. 
I'll go back to him and I'll tell him, look, dad, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I'll just come back as a, as a servant. And he goes back and what does his father do? He comes back and he, he's sulking and his father stands there with his arms crossed and he says, nope, get to work. Is that what he does? It's not what he does. What does he do? He sees his son coming and he runs out to him and he embraces him. He puts his coat on him. He puts rings on his fingers. He throws a party for him. That's a picture of God's love for us when we return to him. That's a picture of God's care for us, of his eagerness to forgive us, of his longing for us to come back to him. Though we will always wrestle with sin in this life, though we will always battle that temptation to sin, He's eager to forgive us. And we can say with Paul, because of that, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The next way Godward mourners are comforted is by God's presence. Psalm 34, verses 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. When we grieve over sin's destructive power in our own lives and in the world around us, we are assured from scripture that God is especially near to us in that moment. In the words of Kent Hughes, God's comfort is always relational. It comes in the form of his divine companionship. He is our ally. He personally binds up our sorrows and consoles us. We don't have to fear mourning over sin. I don't think anybody in here is just like, mm, mourning feels good. I love grief. But we don't have to fear it because when we mourn, God says, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm right there near to you. I'm here to bring comfort to you. He's given us his Holy Spirit to give us joy, to provide us peace, to help us endure, to strengthen our faith, to surround us with God's love, and most importantly, to remind us of our hope. And toward that end, Godward mourners are comforted by God's promise. Revelation chapter 21, John gets this vision of the end of the age when Christ finally returns. Here's what he sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. For all who look at our lives and this world and realize that things are not as they should be and who long for God to set all things right, we can cling to this promise. One day, our mourning will come to an end. One day, there will be no more cause for grief and sorrow. The resolution that we have long waited for will be realized and he will make all things new. God will come and dwell with us. We will be his treasured possession and he will be ours for all of eternity. And the damaging effects of sin that had so long messed with you, right? Like the brokenness that sin had brought into your life, the brokenness that sin had caused in the world, all of that in an instant done away with. 
Mourning will be a memory. Death will be gone. He's going to wipe every tear from our eye. Mourning and sorrow will not have the final say. So in this life, we can take heart. God's smile is on those who mourn our sin and who turn our cries toward him. And he comforts us now with his pardon, that is his forgiveness. He comforts us with his presence. He says, I am near to you in the very moment of your greatest grief and pain. And he comforts us with his promise that he is going to mend and restore all that sin has broken. And oh, how we long for that day when our mourning will turn to joy. But until then, blessed are those who mourn. So how do we mourn well? I guess technically this is a fifth question and a fifth point, but I don't have it on there, so just roll with me. Mourning is not something that we do particularly well, um, especially, I would say, in American churches in 2021. As a matter of fact, there are lots of brands of Christianity that would like to tell you that if you're mourning, you're doing something wrong. Like if you're sorrowful over your sin, you're doing something wrong. If you, if you feel the weight of your sin in your life, you're doing something wrong. You need to understand the freedom you have in Jesus. Like if you're sorrowful over sin in our world, you, you just need to have stronger faith. You, you're doing Christianity wrong if you're mourning. But I think Jesus is pretty clear. Blessed are those who mourn. So I'm going to take what he says instead of what they say and assume that we should be mourning. I want to mourn. I want my heart to break over sin in my life. I want my heart to break over sin in the lives of others rather than that being fuel for gossip. I want my heart to break over the sin that I see in the world around me rather than becoming angry or bitter. I don't know about you, but when I see sin in the world around me, I am much more quickly turned to anger, Fear, what if this happens? Judgmentalism, those people, can you believe them? I'm, I go there way faster than I turn to God in prayer. I want to mourn rightly. And it's not that I want bad things to happen. I just want more of God. I want to know his presence in my life more fully. I want to know him more clearly. I want to see him at work in my brothers and sisters in Christ more accurately. I want him to undo all the ways that my soul is tangled up in sin. So I want to give us a challenge this week towards answering that question, how do we mourn well? When we talked about the way of death, we uh, were challenged with practices that would help us to put those vices to death in our lives. And with this series, we want to give you ways to soak in the Beatitudes and take upon yourself the new kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. So here's my challenge for you this week. Because we are a people that don't necessarily mourn very well, each day this week I want us to spend some time in the Psalms of Lament. These Psalms of Lament teach us how to mourn in a Godward way, that is in a way that is blessed by God. And if you'd rather just Google Psalms of Lament, you can find a bunch of them. That's great. If you don't know where to start, here are my suggestions. You can do them in any order. Psalm 6, Psalm 10, Psalm 38, Psalm 42, Psalm 130. If you've got your phone, you can snap a picture of that or jot them down. If you don't catch them in time, you can shoot me an email, josh at lakeviewfree.org, and I'll send these over to you. Uh, just take one of these each day, spend time meditating on God's word, and pray through the text. 
read them slowly, read them thoughtfully, and then offer them back to God in prayer. And allow him to open your heart to really mourn. And if you don't feel it, ask him. Ask him to help you mourn like you should. Ask him to help you feel about sin in your life like you should. Ask him to help you feel about sin in our world like you should. Ask him to see things like he does and your heart will break over sin. May these psalms teach us to mourn well so that we can be a people who enjoy God's blessing upon us and so that we can rest in the comfort that he promises and so that we can be transformed as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, as mourners, you call us blessed. May we know your smile on us because of the way we grieve sin in our lives, because of the way we grieve sin in the world. Father, help us to mourn rightly. By your word and by your spirit, would you give us the vocabulary? Help us to feel as we ought. Lord, thank you that when we mourn, we're assured of your comfort. We're assured of your forgiveness as we repent of sin. We're assured of your presence that is near to us in the very moment of our deepest pain. And we're assured of your promise that one day you're going to come back and you're going to set all things right. You're going to do away with all the things that caused us weeping and mourning in this life. Lord, help us to long for that day. And in the meantime, help us to mourn well so that we can enjoy your blessing on us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, that's the conclusion of our service. If you have any questions about those Psalms of Lament, please let me know. Like I said, if you didn't catch them, shoot me an email, josh at lakeviewfree.org, and I'll send them over to you so that we can pray these Psalms of Lament together and learn to mourn well. Go in peace.